Hi, everyone, and welcome to What Would My Shrink Say, a podcast where you get inside the heads of a couple psychologists and see life through their eyes. You'll never be the same. Todd, listener question for today's show. What do you believe now that you didn't when you first started working as a therapist? I think this is a good question for probably lots of professions. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> you know? I think everybody, every well, everything you go into, you have a perception of before you go into it. And then as things kind of start falling into place, you see the reality of what's going on. Of your profession? Yeah, or even like college, you know. Like you have an idea of what college will be like. And mm-hmm. then when you get there, you're actually like, oh, <laughs> you know, this, this isn't what, mm-hmm. exactly what I thought, but... But I think that's true of like many processes of life. Like you have a perception going in and and as you start getting the lay of land, you actually see like, oh, this isn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. But yeah, better or for worse, whatever it is. One of the things though, I I think the major thing I learned um, or a belief that I had going into therapy or, or practicing therapy was that it was my responsibility to fix people that I would be um, that it was up to me um, and my work to see a client improve or get better Um, and I quickly found out that that's not the truth that it's not my responsibility to make people better it's um, I actually have a much smaller role than that it's not your responsibility at all or just less than what you imagined it being initially? I don't know. I think there's a really clear division of labor with therapy. Where I think as a therapist, you definitely have responsibilities. Um, but, and, and provided that person is in the right place and that you have a skill set to address some of their 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 presentations or symptoms, that, that's a good fit. But the process of change, I think sometimes solely lies on the the patient really that's a strong solely lies on the patient or client yeah i I think i I tell my clients a lot you know my job is to point out patterns to educate you on behavior and behavior change and to facilitate the process of change but those all seem like responsibilities right there yeah they are right right but whether the client actually integrates those things participates in therapy you know, does their homework, experiments with our our um, philosophies and these thoughts mm-hmm. and behavioral actions. Like, I, I have zero responsibility there. That's all up to them. Um, I'm there to facilitate and help where I can, but whether they really integrate and take to heart the things that we're discussing or experiment with change op- um, opportunities, I, I have zero control over that. And so I can't accept responsibility for those outcomes sometimes Mm. I guess does that make sense yeah I mean I think the word outcomes is that's a good distinction that you you are not responsible for the final outcome yeah yeah I think I think the outcome is much you know is is pretty much solely in their hands sometimes I I, I get uncomfortable when patients thank me a lot because Mm. it's like well I didn't you know I'm here for one hour a week we we talk I help elaborate maybe on what's going on in your you know, the the context of your life, what's, what's really kind of tripping you up here and there. Mm-hmm. What do they thank you for specifically? Do you, can you 
because I feel the same way. I, I do get uncomfortable with that. Yeah. Well, because because they do all the work. You know, you you're in there for one hour a day, kind of pointing out these things and helping them understand connections and and things they don't see maybe, but you're not taking that knowledge and going out and and when you're faced with a difficult context you're not you know taking that leap of faith and experimenting with different behaviors and doing those things i mean that's that's the onus of therapy right there that's the bulk of the work and so to give me credit for that i just i Hmm. I just always kind of it doesn't feel good i cringe at that a little bit but then i also think well how different is therapy from similar professions like the, the two that come to mind are teaching and coaching you know, like uh-huh. I think it's pretty common. I, when I was a kid, I remember um, thanking teachers and coaches for things um, for, you know, just a really good experience in a class. You would thank a teacher. And I think it's similar. Like if you think about learning material for a class, like I did a lot of the work in terms of like hours right. spent studying and taking notes and stuff like that. Um, but I think what the impulse to thank my teacher is that they were integral in me learning and having a good experience. Sure. Right. And so I, I sort of think that's probably what clients are getting at when they're thanking their therapist is they're, they're acknowledging how important you were to them changing. And I think that's important that it's, it's, it's not quantitative. It's not like, yeah. Well, it's 50-50, you know, you, you did 50% of it and I did 50% of it. It's maybe I did more of the work, but that doesn't mean that you, the therapist part of it is less important. Yeah, I, I, and I can see your point there. I, I definitely can. And I, and I think a, a teacher would also agree that, yes, what they did was helpful to the student. Um, but when you see... Because therapy's tough for the patient. I mean, if you're doing it right, sometimes it's tough. And and for when patients come back in the room and and they tell me, you know, here here's what happened, and I and I tried this new thing we've been talking about, and and it worked out, and I'm so you know, I know that 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 change or that new behavior was hard for them. Mm-hmm. I know that that took some real effort, some real. Um, faith on their part to say, well, let me try this other thing maybe that we've been talking about and see how that goes. And it's not an easy thing because oftentimes their emotions are just screaming to do the opposite. Yeah. Um, I just feel weird to me. It feels like I'm laying claim to a little of that when they thank me, you know, I'm like, ah, like that moment was all you, that moment where you decided I'm going to try this other thing. Yeah. But don't you think their experience in therapy with you contributed to them being able to try something different sure but i i really feel like yeah no doubt and and i don't i don't i don't want to say that you know when they fake me there's no reason for that but i think i think oftentimes i want clients to really hone in on the fact that they did the bulk of the work you know and that i and i appreciate them when they thank me but i feel like i get invited along on a little part of their journey you know, and, and really my job on the journey is just to point out these considerations and, and kind of opt for other alternative behaviors sometimes and thought processes. But I don't, I don't really, I'm <laughs> not there all the time, you know, I'm there f- here and there. Right. Um, Are there specific instances 
in your history as a therapist or conversations or things you read that that you think really led to this shift in belief like why because it sounds like starting off you really thought well it is my responsibility and then that's changed pretty considerably over you know past few years it actually happened really fast in in my early grad school years you know um seeing clients with, with severe depression um an advisor was able to to take me aside because I, I was personalizing it. I wanted my patients to get better. It was frustrating when they didn't just kind of respond right away. And um, an advisor was smart enough to take me aside and say, you know, this this isn't your responsibility. They they get to choose, you know, their level of involvement. And and he elaborated kind of on the similar therapy, and I loved it. And it actually made my work more interesting because mm-hmm. it basically told me this is going to be more challenging than you thought. Like if it were up to you, of course they'd all just do their homework all day long. They, they, you know, if it were up to you, of course, you know, it'd be a different story. But the fact that it's not and that you're actually playing this role that's more removed than you thought makes it even more challenging. Like, oh, wow, if I don't have control over this outcome, how do I help, you know? Yeah. And, it, and it immediately, to me, made it more interesting and more, um, more of an adventure, I mm. guess. That's that's very interesting to me too because that dovetails with my first point um, in that it's not so it's not all your responsibilities as a therapist obviously and that's that's your big point here um, but I think m- one thing I've really learned is that outside of both the therapist and the client there's also the client's environment that plays a huge role in progress or change or outcomes or whatever you want to think about. So I, I, it's, I did not consider this, I don't don't want to say at all, but, um, I I think I, I sort of naively went into therapy thinking that, well, if I did a really good job and the client really worked hard, things would change. And one thing you're you're laughing a lot, Dr. So what do you, what do you think? That's actually my number two. (laughs) (laughs) Because yeah, you do, you start grad school and you're like, Oh, this is all this internal changing cool stuff. And then you realize the environment sucks sometimes. Yeah. And you can be really motivated and have great techniques and be really empathetic. And your client can be really motivated and, you know, really working hard and, and trying stuff. But sometimes people are just in really tough situations environmentally, you know, whether that's their job or, uh, a relationship like their spouse or their family finances finances yeah right and i think i was just totally naive to how big a role those things play in people's um ability to change regardless of willingness i, I completely agree i mean and finances for me i mean when a lot of schools run kind of a community mental health center mm-hmm. Um, that's on a sliding scale fee for service. And um, immediately you find out the restrictions in people's lives due to finances and the stressors that they go through because they're not able to afford X, Y, and Z, the basic kind of necessities of life. And, and uh, you can't directly influence those at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think especially it, um, the degree to which finances affect things like um, – kind of core like foundational um, habits and practices that make uh, therapy possible. That, that's 
abstract. What I mean is things like um, eating well, exercising, exercising good social interactions, like um, sleeping well, right? These are all things like if you, I remember I, I had a client really early on who was from a really um, impoverished neighborhood in, in Dallas. And we were talking about sleep and we've been talking about sleep for like weeks and trying to, you know, I was implementing all these techniques that he can do before bed and what happens when he wakes up in the middle of the night. And, um, and then I, I found out after a few weeks, we were talking about like why he wakes up so much in the middle of the night. And he, he told me, and this just blew me away. He routinely got woken up in the night because of gunshots. He would hear gunshots outside his apartment. Wow. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, what do you, (laughs) you can have the best techniques in the world, but if there's gunshots going off outside your apartment in the middle of the night, like you're going to have sleep issues. Yeah. You know, Um, or or you're, uh, you know, you're, you're stuck in your living situation with an abusive partner because you literally have zero money to move out. So the choice is, do I remain here or be homeless? Right. Yeah. Unbelievable. And you you can do mindful exercises, mindfulness exercises <laughs> until you're blue in the face, but that's not going to change the fact that you're in an abusive relationship. Right. Right. And you're going to go home to someone who's degrading you, yep. abusing you. Yeah. It doesn't do a lot of good to do some mindfulness breathing exercises Mm-mm. sometimes. So I, I just think that's, yeah, that I've definitely changed on that. Well, and you and I have talked about how fun it would be to be able to change your patient's environment sometimes to for see. us to like play sim city and change their environment <laughs> yeah, to be happens. able to say like okay well instead can we try putting you in this environment and see what happens you know can we practice this new skill in an environment that's safe for you maybe or can we practice these new skills in environments where these other contingencies aren't going to impact your practice and well and that's the other side of this point is that on the positive side some of the most drastic improvements and positive changes I've seen in my clients' lives have not come about because of any technique I helped them learn or any insight we had in therapy. It was because they finally got to a place where they were either willing or able to make a pretty substantial change in their environment. And it it was amazing when that stuff happened. It just it allowed them to start to make all these other changes that they knew were important and had wanted to, but were just unable to because of their environment. And and that's one other thing I would say. I I knew I would enjoy um, seeing people improve their lives. I knew I would like that. Mm -hmm. I I don't think I had an appreciation for just how exhilarating and addictive it would be to see that change happen to people. Yeah. You know, I mean, to me, there are moments in therapy where you just can't describe um, what that experience is like emotionally for someone to just get it finally. Or I I call it that head tilt that you see people kind of just look at you funny and tilt their head (laughs) and you can see the wheels kind of grinding and, Mm -hmm. and, and it's just such a cool moment. Those aha just, moments where yeah, it comes together. Where, you're, where they're just kind of like, hey, wait a minute, there's something here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I'd like that, but I had no idea mm. how amazing that would be. Mm. And, and and to be able to do that over and over and over and over again, it gets kind of addictive. Yeah. I, I get pretty excited to be mm. like, I don't know when it's coming, mm-hmm. but it's coming, mm-hmm. you know? It's kind of a cool, and it doesn't happen all the time. Yeah. 
I, I mean, it's it's the great thing about our work. I think is that you're striving for these moments that happen occasionally. And right. Yeah. I don't think I was prepared for, or had really had no idea of the the diversity of change timelines. It, what I mean is like. I, I sort of assume that, like, for any substantial mental health issue, it, it probably takes a some vague medium-ish length of time. Right. right? Some, some time. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know, 20 weeks. You know, you hear these numbers thrown about in research studies. And w- what I've been really surprised at is the huge range in timelines. I've had clients who make drastic, phenomenal change in, like, a handful of sessions. Right. I mean, it's like, it's kind of amazing. And then I've had clients who, you know, it takes, you know, years. Right. Um, and, and it's just, and it's kind of hard. I mean, you can sort of predict sometimes, but most of the time it's very, very hard to predict. And I know you've had this happen too, where I, I recently had a client, um, come to therapy and by the time she sat down on the couch, she'd already made phenomenal changes just from when she made the appointment to when she came in for a ser- for a session. She kind of knew what the problem was and had already started like, well, I'm going to change this about my life. And change, you know, and by the time she came in, it was like she was ready, you know, and it's like, wow, even before therapy started, you're like already on your way. Um, but then you're right. Yeah. Some, some clients, you know, it's hard to, sometimes clients you'll meet and you'll be like, oh, this is going to go really easily and yeah. smoothly. And So I think, change happens both faster and slower than I imagined. Um, and it's very unpredictable. I like that. It probably sounds obvious to a lot of people, I guess, but I was just very surprised by that. Yeah. Well, and the unpredictability of how that happens. And, you know, you have this idea that, Oh, this disorder responds this fast and this kind of, and it's not that way at all. There's so many variables involved. Um, it, which brings me to my third point, which was I really thought I'd go to grad school and they'd just fill me up with all the knowledge it took to <laughs> change somebody. <laughs> you know? I I just thought... You're just going to stick a USB <laughs> plug in your ear yeah. and just download yeah. all that information. <laughs> yeah. I, I really thought it was like all this is known, all the secrets of human you know, behavior are kind of known. I'm going to learn it and then that'll be it. I'll just be off and running. And, and, uh, and then when you actually kind of start realizing like wow the human existence is made of a myriad of variables just unbelievable number number of variables for people and you really have to be a good scientist detective listen you know i mean you really have to have um a lot of awareness when you're doing therapy to kind of figure out the most important variables when you're when you're mm-hmm. trying to help someone figure out how to make a change. And humility to know that even if you do all that detective work and you think there's one, you better be prepared <laughs> for like two weeks later to realize, nope, totally wrong. This is, we're going down way the wrong track and we right. need to pull a U-turn. And or just because you really do. And there, there's several patients I have where I feel like I really do understand them pretty well. And this goes to the responsibility part. Um, and, and and I've been able to share, you know, what what I what I believe is happening with them. That doesn't necessarily mean they're gonna mm. change. 
Yeah. You know, they can, they can even go, yep, that is exactly what I'm dealing with. Th- th- you've laid it out really well. Here's where I get stuck. Yeah. Here's where, and, you know, that the decision to actually do something different or, you know. So insight and motivation are a lot more dissociated or separate than you maybe imagine they would be. Or, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. I can give all the insight in the world doesn't amount to behavior change necessarily necessarily some people sometimes it does sometimes you know there's been sessions where i can lay out here's how depression is functioning in your life and then three sessions later i'm done the person's (laughs) like this has changed my life forever you know i realized how often i had this thought that was totally dysfunctional and, Mm -hmm. and you're almost done you know and then sometimes you're just really you know it doesn't yeah I just have a few patients that no matter how much insight you share and and, re- and repeatedly go over their pattern, it's just there. It's really hard for them to then take that and move to the next step. Yeah. The willingness mm-hmm. factor. Yeah. We talked about that. Yeah. So one thing that really has, um, one thing I, I, I realize and believe now that's very different is that, um, People are a lot, le- a lot, a lot of clients that I see are surprisingly less interested in their own psychology than I am. So, I, which makes sense that I'm I self-selected into a profession because I'm fascinated by how the mind works, and it was my naive assumption was that well, if I'm really interested in someone else's mind, surely they're even more interested than me in their own mind. Right. They're just as nerdy as I am. Yeah, right, about their own psychology. Right. Um, and what I, what I realized is that that's, it, well, A, that's a, it's really useful in therapy if you're interested in your own mind, if you're curious about and, and reflect on your own mind and how it works. But that is not at all a safe assumption. Not everyone is. And that's not, you Very know, true. that's not bad. Something I'm not interested in calculus. <laughs> I, I couldn't care less. Um, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything. It's just, it's not something I innately am interested in. And so a lot of times in therapy, the, uh, uh, an underlying skill in therapy is helping people to cultivate a little bit more, um, interestedness or reflection on their own psychology and how their own mind works. And I was just totally unprepared for that. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a really good point. I I think a lot of people aren't geared the way we are to kind of think and, and, you know, be as introspective and curious on the flip, the more positive flip side. I've also been my belief or assumption going into therapy was that the way clients were going to feel about therapy was that it was, like work sort of like how most people probably approach school or exercise something that could be enjoyable at times but like it's mostly just a lot of hard work right and so i was kind of bracing myself for that and what i've they were gonna like white knuckle through it yeah it or or just kind of that it was gonna be um their overall feeling of therapy was that this is hard work it's important but it's hard you know and I've been really surprised at how many clients um, rep- tell me how much they enjoy therapy. Like they're irrespective of, of outcomes, like they just like coming into therapy. 
yeah. they enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and that that is, that's definitely the majority. There, there are people who really don't seem to enjoy therapy at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's okay. Sure. <laughs> um, but I, I've been pleasantly surprised at how, how many people seem to genuinely enjoy just the experience of coming into therapy, like really enjoy it. And interestingly how, and this gets to my, my previous point, how that, that doesn't seem to be, it doesn't seem to correlate at all with the, my point about people being interested in their own psychology. <laughs> right. So people can be not particularly nerdy about their own psychology like I am and still really enjoy their, and, and so that's just, just like kind of wonderfully mystifying. Yeah. <laughs> well, on the same point, it, therapy can be tough a lot of the time and it's still enjoyable. Yeah, you I know, guess that that I, sort of surprises I, I me. I have clients that really wrestle with some some facts and, and 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 issues in their life, but they still kind of like the idea that they're trying and they're 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 wrestling, they're struggling, they're grinding through it. Yeah. And and I think there's a a certain happiness that comes from the grind sometimes and hmm. the the struggle a little bit. Yeah, because when you finally do kind of make those progress points, they just mean so much more. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot we believe that wasn't quite right. <laughs> People are going to come away from this podcast thinking, these guys have no idea about <laughs> anything. <laughs> they, they thought one thing and they still don't know. No, I, I, I've been pleasantly surprised by a lot of things, I think. And, and, and again, like you always go into things thinking one thing, and then when you learn the truth, sometimes it's a little scary. But I think with with what I do, I've been just kind of, surprised and and sometimes really kind of thrilled about the things that I didn't know or the things that I was wrong about. Mm -hmm. They've been kind of fun. For the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.